Fresh New Shorts offers you new short stories from award-winning writers. In today's story, 1994, a girl and her father travel up from Newfoundland for work as the economics of home become worse and worse. Staying with friends dredges up a past incident, and the girl questions her father's choice to put them in this predicament. Their situation is not unique. Everyone and everything on the island is making such calculations on their past and future. Nineteen ninety four. It's not like she was a stranger to desire. She'd whirled round those flaring matches on paper wings. Sure, stories last winter said Jackson Coombs had taken a girl on his father's skidoo way down the lumber road, and there, in the white snow and black spruce, declared his love. And she gave way. Emily had clung to Jackson's waist just three weeks before, riding his ATV down the same road, her face close to his neck and smell of polo. Jackson stopped in a clearing, and they leaned on the trike, drinking stolen, shaken-up beers. Jackson, tall and lean as a cigarette cowboy, his jean collar up to frame his pale face, the October cold pinching red circles in his cheeks. You'll get it on with a guy up there, he said, pointing his bottle towards the sky, as if Toronto weren't a city off a lake, but a magical kingdom in the clouds. For her, the city had lost its myth. The houses may be sure built of candy, but holding the stoves to cook you. She shivered at the memory two years past. Like all 15 or 30-year-old boys, Jackson had no inkling of the traffic in a woman's mind, so he just kissed her with his bitter wet mouth. The shiver banished, and she felt the flutter and warmth in her belly and legs. He gave her a black t-shirt he had worn and worn and hadn't washed. She knew his musk from nights in his basement, tangled up on the vinyl couch watching music videos. She gave him a snip of hair she'd called just yesterday, standing in the bathroom, horror wonderfied at the emerging betrayal of curves. Her father calling out from below that supper was ready, it was times like that she missed the idea of having a mother. She placed the hair in a precious pink envelope, sized for tiny thank yous. Wake up! She was leaning against the truck door with Jackson's t-shirt cashed in a pillow sack Nan had embroidered with pitcher plants. Wake up, Dad said. He passed her a potato. He had a bag of potatoes open on the cab bench between them. We're almost to the causeway. Cold air blew his hair as he opened the window. He whipped a potato out into the field on the side of the road. He reached in for another potato and flung it. Go on, he said. They were the dirtiest potatoes he could find. Go on. She threw a potato but didn't clear the ditch. Take the wheel. Don't wobble or the trailer will fly off. 
he kept his foot on the gas while whipping potatoes out into the empty fields. He punctuated each throw with a grunt like John McEnroe. When the bag was empty, he didn't immediately take back the wheel. He seemed to want to sip on the destruction. Potato wart virus, he snorted. My ass. Before boarding the ferry to cross the gulf, they had to walk through a pan of disinfectant, as if they were lepers. Distant farms dozed in the early morning, unaware of the lurking menace. She had forgotten what flatland looked like. We'll stop at the Irving for breakfast. He wiped his hands on his jeans. You hungry? It was a tumult of cold and loud with her window open. She imagined she was Dorothy. Her mother used to watch Wizard of Oz with her as an unsaid apology for this or that. They watched it about once a month. I said, are you hungry? She didn't open her eyes, but nodded, though in truth she wasn't. You can't be pissed the whole drive, he said. I'm not. It's you and me against the world, right? You and me, he said. Though she loved him, she wished she had more than him. The odds he gave didn't seem that good. It's five weeks, he said. He held up the count on his right hand, but he lost the ring finger years before at the plant, so his message was mixed. In five weeks, we'll be driving back the same road home. You'll see. It'll be winter then, she said. She'd been thinking Jackson's accusation was perhaps a warning he would get it on with somebody else. Melanie, with her gigantic boobs. Won't be winter, he said. Near on. November's not winter. It is back home. It snows at Halloween. It did last year anyways. Last year they didn't drive to Toronto to patch a few weeks' work, but this year there was dick all, as he said. Dick all if nobody's fishing, he said. He was three stamps short. But like two years ago, Uncle Llewellyn had a friend who had a friend. There's five weeks for someone who wasn't afraid of work. Llewellyn wasn't really her uncle. His creepy son wasn't really her cousin. Llewellyn had left the island after school to be a teacher in Ontario. Five weeks at Uncle Llewellyn's, with Margie, the phantom mother, and all-seeing, all-touching Frank. At least they had the trailer to sleep in. There it is, her father pointed at an Irving station. I could use some coffee. By the time she got back from the bathroom, he had ordered her the two-egg breakfast. All I want is half a grapefruit. What kind of breakfast is that? She shrugged. You won't get far on half a grapefruit, he said. The girl brought two plates to the counter and he began to eat. He ate a lot more quickly now with her mother gone. Who owns the Newfie trailer in the lot? She looked up, though her father didn't miss a forkful. She tried to retract her look and saw her father shut his eyes. It was a tell. He'd been teaching her how to read people in poker. The man came over. He was big, held tight in overalls like a denim sausage, 
rusty sideburns flaring far too down his face. Is it yours? he said to Dad. We've had a crowd of newbies this fall. She stared down at her plate, a sour pit cramping in her stomach. She wished she'd had just the grapefruit. Buddy, is it your trailer? Dad had a mouthful of toast and bacon. He swallowed and wiped his lips and looked up. It could be. If it's yours, it's shitting all over the lot. Dad chewed on his piece of toast. Buddy, do you have a trailer hooked to a green pickup with a brown door and newfie plates? Dad considered the information. He nodded as if that description fit many trucks and Newfoundlanders, and he could be one of them. It's shitting all over the lot. There's a cone of shit at the end of its pipe. Did you drain the tank before you left? Or did you just hook her up and blast off for Trana? Dad stood up so fast it startled the sausage man. Dad was smaller than him by at least four inches and 50 pounds, but he placed himself smack against the overalls. My little girl is finishing her breakfast. You're ruining it. The man took a step back. Your trailer is ruining my parking lot. She got up, but Dad put a hand on her. Finish your breakfast. He put a ten down. Missy, he called to a heavy girl serving the counter, add a half a grapefruit to the bill. Sometimes, sometimes Emily exercised a power where she shrunk the universe down to just what she saw. Everything else, furniture, other people, the CN Tower, Finland, Saturn, winked out of existence with a sound like She didn't move her eyes from what was right in front of her, the puddle of eggs and toast, the white bowl with a half-pink grapefruit. You could imagine anything away like that. You could cut a cube of oxygen from the universe, the countertop and plate of eggs and bowl of grapefruit and put it back home or on the moon or the future or the past. Dad's hand on her shoulder broke the cube that she was weaving. You like that grapefruit. We can buy you grapefruit in Toronto. He sat down on the stool next to her, his voice lowering to a whisper. The goddamn plug must have come out after the boat. Somewhere in Cape Breton. I had another sack of potatoes for Llewellyn, so I carved a stopper out of one. He pulled back on the highway, waving at Mr. Irving, the jolly Jean sausage, who watched them leave. I jammed a spud up his exhaust, too, he said, his smile conjuring the devastation. You remember Frank, Llewellyn said. Frank was bigger than two years ago, his face more carved. He had a smile fit for school pictures and Sixteen magazine. They were standing in the hall of Llewellyn's house. She was conscious of her hair, lank from sleeping a night in a Kmart lot and missing a day of shampoo. For God's sake, sure, you don't have to be dragging a trailer from the rock, Llewellyn said. She could tell he never spoke like that. Only people from somewhere else called home the rock. I've had Frank clear out his room for Emily already. How are you keeping the trailer warm? 
I've had the trailer for more than a year, her dad said. We had a couple of heaters. She knew they borrowed the trailer just last week, but this time she didn't give way with a tell. Frank was wearing a blue sweater with warriors written in block gold letters. The sharp retorting line she had honed over the past two years now dulled in his presence. She wanted to carve a cube out of the air right here and right now, but knew it was not practical. They'd think she was disturbed. All she could manage was a half-wit grin. She needed a cube to think in, and to think she believed she'd worked this all out for two years. But seeing him again made her feel it all again, that somehow she was the bad one. Whatever was playing on her face, it provoked a smile from Frank, and she felt a stitch in her side. She must be tired after that trip, Llewellyn said. Have her sleep upstairs tonight in any case. Frank's smile widened. Yeah, Emily, you can... No, she said. Her voice was a startling shaft of sound. Llewellyn held out his hand to ward off the loud spirit. He was laughing at the joke of it. I'll sleep in the trailer, she said, bringing her voice back in line. You'll want to stay for a drink and a song, Llewellyn said to Dad. Margie's off shift, not for a few hours. We haven't had squid chicken ground since the last time you were here. Emily hated squid chicken grounds. She hated all those lame songs. Except maybe Cape St. Mary's, because it had the right jigger of sadness. I'm beat, Dad said, waving him off. The trailer was cold. Dad had lied about the heaters, too. He had brought four blankets that weighed a hundred pounds each and a wood sleeping bag that smelled like old dogs and books. She crawled underneath them all. Frank's face had brought more confusion than revulsion. You'll like it. You do like it, he told her. And she knew those ploys from stories she'd heard and been taught in school, but there was a seed of sincerity in his voice and in her response. She had liked him. He had shown her how to use his scientific calculator. He had given it to her. He had let her come with him and his friends to Wayne's world. She had gyred round his glow. Maybe it was more her than him, and she had not thought it through. But she had thought it through almost every day for over a year. Go to sleep, her father said. She could see his breath in the blue-lip light of the street lamps. He poured himself a rye. We're not staying here for five weeks, but that's just for you and me. As soon as I get three stamps, we're out of here. Don't let on. The deal was five weeks. Frig the deal, he said, as soon as I saw his smug face. She was listening, trying to determine who did he mean. Llewellyn's face? Dad ran his fingers through his hair and then bent forward to cup his face in his hands. He stayed that way for a minute. He used to do this when Mom ran out. It dawned on her then like a sudden flash or fever that threatened to make her sick. It was Frank's smug face. 
He pointed to the door. There's a bar that comes down. Latch the hook onto the metal of the door and nobody will open it, he said. Why did you take me back here if you knew? I don't know anything, he said. You knew. What did I know? Half her body was out of the bed now. You knew about Frank. He hesitated and his face was blank. Like he was struggling to determine, did he really know or did he suspect something? That he was just taking precautions? I knew you clammed right up the last week we were here and had stomach aches every day. I knew you had a crush on him then. I figured it didn't work out. Here was a cube to rip out of the fabric of space. What, he said. She held up her hand. Part of him was in her field of vision, and if she made a cube, she'd cut him in half. His legs would fall over, cauterized but lifeless. What, he said again. She closed her eyes and really listened, weighing his words for truth or bluff. Did he think it was just a crush gone wrong? She sank back into the bed because she didn't want to hear him anymore, burying herself in the mustiness of covers. She also knew the deck of cards, and it was her and him against the world. And if she lost him, her forces would be cut in half. Three weeks, he was saying, from the world outside the blankets. The fishing will be back next year. You'll see. It can't be gone four years. Then we'll never come back here. You and me against the world, he laughed. You and me. Three weeks on, Dad had a lie about an aunt suffering a stroke. Llewellyn was so disconnected from home, he'd never figure it out. Emily worked the story. The special connection between Dad and the aunt how he played cards, she loved crib, with her after the supper hour news. The blood in their veins was sweet and bright as sunshine as they drove away. She felt like flinging potatoes from here to the sea. There's one thing I have to do, Dad said. He turned into a strip mall and drove round back of the Kentucky Fried Chicken. There was a square of undeveloped land, a yard without a house. It had a slight rise to it, a, a hillock, like a pitcher's mound, held down by a hundred gulls. The birds wobbled as a single entity as they pulled in. Fellow works here from Change Islands. Been here since 92. Feeds the gulls tucky shit. They make them feel at home. He tossed a can of tuna to her. Open it up. They placed a dozen cans on the vacant parking lot. The birds watched them, shifting uneasily from left to right like one sentient creature. When they reached their truck, the shifting unbalanced, and the gulls took flight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all and all. Like white flecks swirling in a giant snow globe, they wheeled in the air and billowed out to engulf the cans. Seabirds, Dad said. He watched them with satisfaction, bordering on ecstasy. They'd forgot their taste for fish. Jackson and the two other boys rode down the Sayre Woods Road. 
the mud ruts frozen into wrinkled calluses. Sure you got in her pants, one boy said. Scalds and bards sang Jackson's grade 10 legend. Jackson smiled Cheshire. Emily was coming home the weekend. In the future, in their 20s, these two boys will leave to find work in Fort Mac. One will shipwreck on meth. Jackson, Jackson will kick around town, tarnish and slouch towards Calgary, teaching Jim to 12-year-olds. He will see gulls in parking lots and pretend they're pigeons. He will carry a folded pink envelope, dirty, in his wallet. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed this story, please rate us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find the book, A Physicist Guide to Love by John Blackmore on amazon.com, .ca, or your country site. Please subscribe and come back to listen to us again. <laughs>